listening to She's a Powerhouse. My name is Holly Calloway, and I'm here to share with you some stories of ordinary women who have done some extraordinary things in hopes that you'll get comfortable being uncomfortable, be okay with pushing your boundaries, and do some extraordinary things yourself. All right, welcome to another episode of She's a Powerhouse. Today we have with us Mari Peterson, who owns Marketing Outpost. And Mari has been in business with this marketing business for about 15 years. Prior to that, she worked in corporate uh, and worked with over 70 employees, lots of money going in and out. She has some amazing experience. I met her through a friend. She does marketing for all sorts of diverse companies. She's a really amazing human being. I've had a chance to chat with her just a little bit this morning, and I'm really excited to dive into this. So sit back, listen, enjoy, and welcome, Mari. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Fantastic. So I always like to do a little bit of a history on our guests before we get started, like really diving into the business portion of it. So I read your about me section (laughs) because normally when we have people on, they're looking to like promote a book or a program. And so I can really get into why they do that thing. But your about me was like, firstly, super extensive for a website, which is really great. I love that I could just pop in and be like, oh, I feel like I know her. That's amazing. And secondly, was super interesting. So you were born in Seoul, Korea right? And then you've lived all over the South in the United States and you've worked in several different like fields in different facets. So I'd really love to dig into parts of how you grew up that sort of led you to being this powerhouse of a business owner that you are today. Okay. So do you want me to just answer it or did you have a specific thing? Whatever pops into mind for you, because I feel like when I say that, if there's something that comes straight to the front of your mind, that thing is probably really interesting and important. (laughs) Well, I get that question a lot because I do have a pretty varied background and a lot of the business owners that I work with, they also have a varied background. And I think what it is, is that throughout your life, you're really testing and trying out the things that you like. So you get drawn to certain occupations or certain types of work and you like it, but maybe it just really didn't completely resonate with you. There were certain qualities or things that you liked about it, but it wasn't 100%. So you keep going and you try different things. And I think at some point, those things come full circle. So marketing is a huge umbrella of different um, types of skills, as well as parts of your brain that we use from creative and design to analytics. It, It goes from the nerd side to the fun side. It can be very social. It can be very computer driven and and non social. So I think it meets the needs of so many different types of things. So when I look back, that's pretty much what that was for me, was trying out all these different things that did tap into the parts of who I am. But marketing strategy really pulls it all together. And I think when you look back, you can find a common thread in your work. So when I talk to owners, I hear that a lot. They're like, I don't know why I did all this stuff. And I'm like, no, it served a purpose. It got you to here. And then there was a reason for that. You know, you needed to try out and learn and test all these other pieces in order to basically become who you are today. And we're not done. You know, now in marketing, I don't have to go work and do all those things. (laughs) I get to play around in other people's businesses and a wide variety. So I think that's I think all the different pieces of experience have come together for. I love that. And that's amazing because I see that a lot, too. And I've I worry sometimes when people get really concerned about finding like their passion or purpose in life and they think they haven't found it or they feel like they're too old to still be looking or whatever. But like you just kind of take the parts and pieces from things and and figure it out as you go. And I think so much of that is steeped in our like, what are you going to be when you grow up starting when you're like five? 
right? And we're all like, yeah. I don't, I'm five, man. I want to be a garbage truck. Like, I want to be the guy on the back of the garbage truck because that looks like fun. Like, we don't know when we're five, but then they do it all the way through middle school. And then in high school, what are you going to college for? And what's your major? And how many people have we seen, like seniors in college? And they're still like, I don't actually know what I want to do because we're expecting so much of them with so little experience. So it's like all these little experiences go together to make something bigger. What were some of those experiences for you that felt like pillar moments, those things that like kind of helped build where you are today that really stand out for you? Well, I I think in each part, whether it was working for a large, uh, what I would consider large, I mean, not large as a national, but corporate work, that was really good because of the experience where you had to manage so many big things and it really, you kind of cut through the crap. Because as a small business owner, when you're by yourself, you tend to want to do every single thing. So yes, we can wear all the hats, but, but should we really? So when a, when a client tells me, well, I can do that. I can, I can do that. I will often ask, but should you really, you know, should you not maybe work on your strengths and find someone else to fill in the gaps and the weaknesses? And then you can really focus on what you're really, really good at. And I think as if you work by yourself, you have a tendency to do that and not want to hire, not want to delegate. I think when you work in big corporate, you can't. There's not an option. It takes a team of people. It takes departments. So I think that is what I got from working in corporate, that you really do need to delegate and hire people to do their job. And then you can focus on what you need to focus on. How has that worked you or worked for you in this? When you started, it was Mari Peterson Consulting, and then you've changed it now to Marketing Outpost in Asheville. Um, but when you very first started, did you have a team with you to begin with, or did you kind of have to take it all on and then slowly delegate out again? I kept getting drawn to marketing. It was when I went to the accounting firm, it's what they hired me for. And I said, nice. but I don't have any accounting. I don't have any marketing experience. And it was the, the accounting firm said, no, but we've, we've seen your work and you get things done. And really at the end of the day, that's the hardest task in marketing. Marketing is really just a lot of projects and executing those projects on time, on budget and well are actually quite difficult. A lot of people are very good at starting things, but they find it very difficult to finish. And I always tell people I'm a finisher. So I think that you know, in the account, in that kind of world, you know, that's, that's what I take from that is just, you know, going from me to trying and testing all those pieces, and then making that intention to grow. No, I didn't start off with a team, it was me and testing and testing and testing. That's awesome. And so like each part of what you were doing, it was like, let me take the good parts and then leave the rest behind and doing the constant analytics and things like that, which doesn't come intuitively to very many people I've learned. That's something that kind of has to be learned. Was that something you grasped from the previous jobs or did that come intuitively to you as well? I believe that I'm an observer. I think people who are in marketing are very good listeners and very good observers. So you really have to do a lot of watching. And I'm just so curious about everything. Why do people do what they do? Why do they want to buy that versus that? You know, why why do business cycles do this and do that? So I'm always questioning. So that's part of my scientific research background interest that I have. And I believe that if you're like that, then you just like you really just like to sit back and observe. And then if you listen to what people say as well as what they don't say 
then I think that that is what is the key. So for me, it was that piece of it. It wasn't just, I started off in website design. And then believe it or not, I was around before there was social media. I remember teaching people. I did a lot of teaching where I taught them how to start a Facebook page. Oh, yes. Awesome. Instagram wasn't even around. That's so cool. <laughs> Insta- and TikTok, that. nobody had a clue. That's so, smart. you know, that, that wasn't even in, in existence. So when you think about it, it was just you, we added all these pieces on. So I started off on the traditional world of marketing and really segued in. And that's part of my generation group. Gen Xers are very much, we straddle the line of both. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we may not as be as fast as millennials, but we understand and we get it. But yet we can translate and communicate that to an older generation because we had a, have a foot in that too. I love that so much. Um, so diving into that inquisitive nature, I feel like that's a really great segue into how Mari grew up. So I always like to dive a little bit into family stuff. Were you one of several, only child, oldest, youngest, middle? You had immigrant parents, which makes the story just that much deeper and amazing. So tell me what it was like growing up the way that you grew up. Okay. Um, Well, being adopted is one thing. Growing up in America by an American family, my mother um, is just good old American. She was from Alabama. (laughs) And my father was Irish. (laughs) <laughs> so I grew up with this Irish this. last name <laughs> and then he he passed away a year after I was adopted but my mother kept moving around like it was just the thing to do she was a special education teacher so that's how we ended up living we moved every three years so we lived in a different state um, and I didn't really get more grounded till boarding school and I, I this was back before I worked on a attended on a scholarship So we moved around and then I went to a boarding school that was very international. So I just had so much experience in different places with so many different types of people and places. And then it sort of got rounded out in boarding school where I had a Japanese roommate. I had an Ethiopian roommate. I had um, a Russian roommate. It was just then I had two American roommates and then you were living on a campus with all these people from all these other places. So it was just a huge diversity. So that curiosity, you're learning so much from all the, all the different people. I love that. And I, I rarely hear about people going to boarding schools. That's, <laughs> that's an incredible story as well that you kind of got to pull from all those different things. So when you got into sort of that stage that we talk about in high school, when people are like, what are you going to do when you grow up? And what do you want to go in for? What was your first inclination? Where did you head first? I thought I was going to be an archaeologist because I love digging into things. I love research and I'm very curious about history. I have a love of history, but I did not pursue that because I started to study it. And I realized that these people work for years and years and years and never have completion. <laughs> and I just was, I and can't for do the that. <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> I thought I could not be digging on something for 30 years and not have it completed. (laughs) No, that would be, oh, I can't, I'm with you. I can't even, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Like, I think, don't we all kind of go after something to like stick our name on? Can you imagine to not have the thing that you're like, no, I did like half a project for my entire career. Yeah, (laughs) I ended up brushing brushing dirt off of one pyramid. I just couldn't see that. 
So I decided I was going to go. I studied a lot of religion. I studied Jewish history. I was interested in that. And that was really quite fascinating. And then I somehow ended up with business. I actually did a lot of career testing. And I actually, when I was finishing, I paid for an independent career counselor. And we went through six weeks. Today, we'd call that a business coach. <laughs> and seriously, yeah. and we did a very... So my profile did come up with a lot of HR and organizational management, and that's where I started off and why I got started first in corporate. I love that that kind of goes way back to the testing and the trying and seeing what fits and and all of the playing around with things like that. And then, so we did in the corporate, tell me about sort of that discovering what it's like to work with that many people because you worked with a lot of people with a lot of different, I'm assuming personalities and things like that. What's it like learning how to manage all of that? I found out that I'm not really so good at it. I'm much more a behind the scenes (laughs) person. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I'm really not. It was so rounding out what you said a minute ago, I'm a firm believer. I tell people you can have more than one occupation at the same time. That is the beauty of the world that we're in. You can have as many side hustles as you want. Um, And that's, that's what's so wonderful now. But back then it was still very traditional. You need to pick from a bucket of different occupations. And so in corporate, I love the work, but it's the same work day in, day out. It's the same topic of conversation day in, day out. And working with that many people, I realized that I'm, as part of the organizational management, I like the systems and the strategy more than I did interacting with that many people. Because at the end of the day, for mm-hmm. me, you really have to be honest with your personality and be self-aware as a, as a marketer. And part of that is saying, you know what? People actually drain me. And I am very honest about it. I will tell people that for me, I love to be social, but I love to know when I'm being social, how long I need to be social for because it actually does like take a lot of energy. And that if I have a lot of that in the week, I'm exhausted. But then I have people on my team, it does the opposite. It energizes them. They love it. They want more, more, more. And those are the ones I send out for networking because I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) So working with that many people in corporate was exhausting. And I would be so stressed at the end of you know, the week or even a month. And I, and I couldn't understand why. And it was just because it was into so much of my brain and I was overthinking it because I, I tend to overthink. And I realized what it was later that that's mm. why. It's just, you know, that much pulling at me is a lot. As a strategist, you're going to be an overthinker. Just go ahead and accept it, own it. But then you really have to give yourself a break when you can just, you know, turn the brain off. Absolutely. What are the things that give you energy? What is the opposite of that, that the things that get you excited and keep you kind of moving? Uh, So for me, it's being outdoors. I do a lot of fishing. I do a lot. I used to be in my garden a lot more. I I like activity that is either with one other person or nobody. (laughs) So I do a lot of reading and they're just things where I don't actually stimulate my brain so much. It's more of the physicalness. So I like to jog. I like to go for walks. And those are the things that help me. I have to have a lot of downtime to offset 
all the thinking that you're doing throughout the day and processing. I don't always succeed at achieving that balance for myself. I do have planned vacations and pretty much no matter what, unless something really bad happens, I go on them. Um, And I usually don't work. Um, If I do, I just check email lightly in the morning, respond in the evening, and people pretty much get that. But I do have to have my uh, three or four days off about every month and a half, and I try to do that. So, but during the week, it's it's a challenge. Um, so I do take a lot of downtime on the weekends. I limit evening social activity. People invite me to things all the time, and I, I limit it to one or two because I just need to have that time for myself. And we pretty much limit weekend activities just because I need that time to recharge. So... Which is smart. Saying no to things can be so hard, but sometimes it's so necessary. We try to teach that um, if it's not a hell no, or if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. So either it's an emphatic, absolutely, I want to do that thing, or I'm not doing it because I have to reserve my energy too. And I like that, that you employ that as a part of like your everyday life. It's brilliant. So as do you have, I didn't look deep enough to know, do you have children? No, I don't. Do you have fur babies? <laughs> I have I have cats. I have kitty. I yes. love that. And making sure that all of that gets balanced as well. And I love this. Um, so tell me more about, we started talking about it before we started recording, about your um, your change of name in the business and why you chose to do that. Because I think this is brilliant. So a couple of years ago, let's see, I was 45 and I thought, well, how much longer every year at the beginning of the year, I always do an annual review. Personally, professionally, I look at what I feel like went well, what didn't. I do that every quarter and I do that annually as well. And so at that point, I thought, you know, what, what does the next 10 years look like? What do I think it might look like? You, you know, you never know and things are going to change, but you, you need to have a general path. So that's made me what think, I think our process is to continuously do the same thing, but I felt ready to do something different and I really wanted to expand. And I talked about it with my husband. I said, this is what it's going to mean if I do this. And we agreed, you know, because I think it's a family discussion that you have, because if you're going to make a major change, it can impact your schedule and, of course, the people around you. So we agreed, you know, yeah, you know, I'll support you with that, of course. And he would anyway, but I still want to talk to him about it. And then when I made that intentional move, it was to grow. I said, you know, I do want to grow and I set goals because once I decide to do something, then I want to set goals. I'm pretty obnoxious about it. And so uh, I I quit apologizing about being that nerd and liking to check things off my list and and do that. And that's what I decided to do. So that's why I did change the brand two years ago. I love that you don't apologize. Tell me what that making that decision was like when you were like, no, I'm done. I'm not saying sorry anymore. I think that's something that I don't know if it's something about being in your 40s and you just don't you know, you, you don't care as much, not necessarily about what other people think, but you also are, are more self-aware and you realize that, you know, in certain places, 
certain qualities are better than others. So being a goal-oriented person is not a bad thing. It can become obnoxious if you don't let it go in other ways. So in my personal life, I don't sit here and think that I have to run 10 miles every week. You know, I let, I give myself like forgiveness with that. I try to do what I can do, but it's not the same thing where I really get you know, my juices flowing is in business and working with businesses and seeing them achieve their goals. So for me, it's not apologizing because I realize that that is where I shine with take that obnoxious quality, put it where it can really shine and then you'll be happy. Turn it off in other places <laughs> and then just go from there. And I do say no a lot. I, that's our team theme this year is say no now so you can say yes later. So we're being a lot pickier about what we do and what we take on. So for that very reason. That's brilliant. Talk to me about, okay, so the group that I run, our membership group, especially the our paid group, is very diverse. And we have women who are 21 and we have women who are 55. So, and every generation has an argument for themselves about why we're our favorite generation, right? So like for, for those in their twenties, they're like, this is the best. And then in our thirties, we're like, no, this is actually better. And then women in their forties are like, you guys have no idea. It just keeps getting better. Compare for me, like for you, how do you feel about like, talk to me about twenties versus thirties versus forties, especially somebody who's owned their own company for 15 years. So you've done this over more than one generation of your own life. What are those, yeah. what are the, each of those like stages like? I guess for me personally, mm-hmm. it's stages of insecurity and you just get more secure and more confident about what you're doing. Years ago, I used to work for a um, headhunting company and all they did was work for people who they found jobs for people who were earning a hundred thousand and more. And at the time I was like, wow, that's a, an astounding amount of money. And I learned so much watching the process behind it, but they would, they had this massive process and detail and I would be so excited about meeting them. And then when I met them, I was like, really, that's it. And I realized like how much of our self-confidence is women really, really are so hard on themselves. We really hold ourselves to such a high standard. And so we, but we're told that when we do that, you're either coming across as very bitchy or pushy or a know-it-all. And we're, it's just because we hold ourselves to such a high standard. And so what I, for me, going from the 20s was kind of like learning that those things, having high standards and working hard and driving yourself were not a bad thing. And then into your 30s, you're really learning more and gaining more trust in yourself. And then by the time you're in your 40s, you know, you are like, oh, I got this. And you're just not even worried about it anymore. And who knows about the 50s? I mean, I'm excited. I really am because I'm like, man, if I feel this good in my 40s, what am I going to be thinking in my 50s, you know? Yep. And I feel that same way. I was um, comparing sort of weekend notes with a friend of mine and, and he said, well, at least you're not 43. And I was like, regrettably, yes, because all I can imagine is how much more like as we add to the wisdom, right? I'm like, I feel very, very fortunate that I get to work with women who are in their 40s and 50s because they keep showing me like, or they'll say like, you all spent way too much time being in that place of imposter syndrome and in that spot of insecurity. And if you can just recognize how amazing you are and that there are so many other women who are just like you. And if they seem like they're more confident, it's really just that they've chosen more confidence. The quicker you can 
can figure that out. So I feel like I'm, I'm 33 full disclosure. So at 33, I feel more like a, what I would assume a 40 year old feels like because I've had so many in my life who have, you know, kind of shown me the way into not caring. I can't tell you that like the day that I gave the phrase, like, I don't give a shit what you think so much power. Like I I just kind of stopped. I was like, I I don't, I'm going to do me the way that I do me because I know people need it. And I know that they love what I do. And if you don't like me, you don't have to stick around, but there are billions of people. So there are going to be enough people who need what I have that I can present myself authentically and we're going to be fine. And I say that and know that still by the time I'm 40, I know there's going to be so much more wisdom and whatever. So when somebody's like, well, at least you're not such and such old. I'm like, honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to 40s. And I'm kind of looking forward to 50s. If this is all we do is gain this experience and it just gets kind of sweeter with age, man, I'm down. I am so down with whatever life's got to hand me for the next 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or however the heck old I end up being, right? Like I'm excited for those things. I love that. So tell me if, have you noticed, and I ask because our last podcast guest, we interviewed on her 92nd birthday, which was absolutely amazing. And our, a lot of that theme was the difference in sort of mm, women in the workplace. Let's just say it was sort of based on feminism, but women in the workplace 70 years ago when she entered the workplace and now, right? Have you noticed a change just in, I love the changes that you've seen with like social media and these different platforms being a thing and being able to like slowly integrate them instead of sort of feeling like, you know, you got water hosed with all of them. I feel so terrible sometimes for new business owners now who are like, what platform do I use? Why are there 53 of them? Um, but you got to like slowly integrate that in. Have you noticed a, just a difference in the last decade in women who are starting their own businesses and running their own companies and maybe what they face versus when you very first started? So when I first started, I, I did work in corporate. I did work in a more traditional setting. And because I didn't have the self-confidence, I overworked myself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of women, that's the same today. When they start their own business, they will overwork themselves they overdo, they overlearn, they over, they're trying to overcompensate just as I was for a little bit of that insecurity. And so I, I think that if more women would spend way more time really learning about themselves, that self-awareness, you know, what do I really need? You know, am I really a social person? Maybe not. What is my, what is, how do I work best and work with that? then they will be more self-confident. But in my 20s, you know, I wasn't. I was told that certain things and certain factors, you know, you have to have an MBA and you need to have experience and you need to have all this other stuff when really it was kind of bullshit. Um, So I realized that, but later. And so I think when you first start, so I I did consult with somebody who was very young and he said, I'm a fashion model, plus I'm a pro football player, Plus I do this, but everybody's telling me I shouldn't be starting my own brand. And I said, are you kidding me? Do it. I said, you can do that now. And don't shy away from that. I said, they're just jealous because they didn't do it at that age, you know, but that's the big difference. I think the young, the generation now growing up in their twenties, they're so self-confident already. I mean, I just wish I had been that self-confident, you know, and I, and I wasn't. So now I feel like that is the beauty of being in my forties is that, a lot of the women clients we work with are in that same group and we're, and we could just cut right to the chase. We get right to it. We can talk to one another. And I I love that. So the differences in the twenties and thirties and forties is really just a, a matter of who are you? Like, what is it that you really personally need? And then number two is that 
that confidence factor that just goes up as you begin to accept, you know, all those pieces about you, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, and then you just learn how to apply those in the right places because everybody has that. You know, I don't need to get on social media and try to be an Instagram superstar. You don't really, you know, have to be that person just because you see it on there. And I think a lot of people today, women starting businesses, they beat themselves up from that. I hear that a lot. Oh, did you see this Instagram influencer and blah, blah, blah. But maybe that's not you and you don't have to be that person. You know, they're not seeing what's behind the scenes. A hundred percent. And that authenticity of you don't have to be that, be what you are. And you don't know what's going on behind the scenes too. We see everybody's highlight reel, especially influencers. All we're seeing is what they cultivated, right? Like you're kidding yourself if you don't think they're cultivating content specifically for their following because that's their job, right? As an influencer, that's what you've chosen to do is sell images and a story of yourself. It's not, there's nothing about that. That's real life. But also if that's not you, that's okay. And I like that phrase too. If that's not you, that's okay. Do something else that is you, what piece of you do you feel like you, um, portray most authentically in what you do? I'm known for being a very direct person and I have been that way my entire life. And it's not until now that people really (laughs) appreciate it. They're like, I like that. (laughs) I think, you know, growing up, it seemed like people didn't like that so much, but I've always been known for being very direct. I cut right to the point. Um, And I have had no problem talking to people and having that difficult conversation. Sometimes I have to let clients know, hey, your baby's ugly and um, you need to change that. Uh, Put that baby in a different outfit. I don't know what, but something needs to happen. And I can just be very direct about it. And I've always been that way. I just sort of cut to the chase. And I don't I think that's what business owners want. They want the truth you know, and I can package it up, make it look pretty. But at the end of the day, if it's affecting your business and your bottom line, you just really want the truth so that you can change it or not change it. Oh, I love that. That's so stinking accurate. Tell me about the growth of your company and where you guys are now. Well, that has always also been a struggle. And so I think that going through this has been eye-opening for me and the businesses that I work with. Uh, growth, most people think of it, it sounds like so much fun. And it just sounds like, oh, we're going to grow things like like it's a flower. And, you know, one day it starts off as a seed and then it's a beautiful flower. No, growth is painful. Growth is difficult. Growth hurts. <laughs> and so I always, you know, the growth we've been going through the last two years, we've grown, but it hasn't been without some pain and a lot of lessons as, as well. And I think that is the lesson that I've learned from it. When you tell somebody, yeah, I want to grow my business. It just sounds like so much fun (laughs) and so easy. And it really isn't because you are really challenging yourself. You've gotten accustomed to doing something when you, for me, for example, because I've been doing this so long for myself, learning to communicate and work with other team members has been difficult because I forget sometimes, oh, I need to tell them (laughs) this, this, and this, or finding time to train and mentor them, not just on the skills, but also on client relationship management. That is not easy to do. You know, not every relationship with your client is just warm and loving. You know, sometimes it's difficult. So you have to be able to, I think, communicate that with your team 
pricing has been an issue. I think that, you know, you, if you really want to know how you feel about yourself, look at your pricing. And uh, then that, that tells you everything you need to know, because really your pricing reflects your own personal value and how you value yourself, not your clients, because the clients that value what you do, they'll pay, but you set your pricing, not them. So if your pricing is too cheap, it's because you are devaluing yourself, not the other way around. So I get that a lot. Like, I don't know if people will pay for that. No, you're afraid to charge for what you were really worth. And that says more about your position in your business than anything else. And I've had to struggle with that. So I'm not saying that from a position of like, oh, I know how to price and I'm so self-confident. No, I've gone through that lesson myself because when you grow, the growth will challenge your pricing because you will have new people to pay for, new expenses. And if you're not valuing yourself enough, then all of a sudden you're giving your stuff away. And you know that because if you're not paying yourself every month, then that is exactly what's going on. I love that. And I love how direct you are about it too, that, yep, that's what's happening. And I fully agree with you. Our biggest struggle with brand new business owners is that they want to do things for free to build up their client base or get their reviews, or they want to do stuff for super cheap and then plan on raising their prices later. The issue is that you end up with a client base that's referring other people at their same level to you at that cheaper price. And when you raise them, you lose that client base. You've worked so hard to put together. And there's always somebody who will pay for what you have. It doesn't matter how much it costs. It does not matter. Like there are people who pay people to walk their dogs and pick up that poop extraordinary amounts of money um, because they don't have time to do it. And they're working some corporate job and they've got the money to pay for it. So, and they do, they pay for what they need. So if you are that person with that service, charge what you feel like you're worth because there is somebody who will pay it. There's also somebody who will take advantage of you if you do it for free. So I call that the vampire model. And that's basically what that is. When you start off, you start off on the vampire model, which is let people just suck off of you. And then you think they're going to give you something back and they really don't. So unless you actually have an agreement, um, you know, it's fine to do discounted services when you start. It's, It's fine to give things away. But in today's social media world, they can give you something. It can be a shout out on social. It could be, you know, that they're doing you a favor online and helping to promote your brand. That doesn't cost them anything but some time. So I tell clients, I don't care if you're doing something at a discounted rate or for free. You can today get something out of it. But if you don't ask, then you won't. Exactly. That's beautiful. And I think that is a fantastic place to wrap this up. Value yourselves, y'all, at a place that your prices reflect that because that's huge. And I love that so much. So Mari Peterson, again, with Marketing Outpost, she's in Asheville. If y'all need somebody to do marketing strategy, and it's not just it's not the basics guys. Mari really, really digs in deep and she gives you some phenomenal stuff to work with. And it's a holistic plan. It's not just try this, do that. It's very much look at your entire business, figure out where it's going and figure out what goals you have and how to get you guys there. She's very much like me in that point, which is why I believe that <laughs> like I was so instantly intrigued and connected because business strategy wise, same, she does that marketing part of that. So if you love my business strategy, you would love Mari's marketing strategy. She's absolutely in a phenomenal, go ahead and look at the show notes for links to everything that she does if you want to contact her. Otherwise, she's going to hang out with me for a little bit. We're going to do a um, little private uh, recording specifically for my Inner Circle members. If you're interested in becoming a part of the Powerhouse Inner Circle, um, go ahead and 
go to powerhousepod.co. There's a link there for you to join if you're interested. And if you want to be a part of our free Facebook community, same powerhousepod.co and join the powerhouse. Mari, thank you so much. I appreciate the heck out of you. 